No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 9, verse 62. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, please pour out uh, gifts of your Spirit this morning that we would have ears and hearts to receive your word. Please um, bless, anoint my preaching to be true and useful to your purposes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so um, in order to understand Jesus' teaching, you first have to call to mind maybe an image from uh, a grade school textbook or something of just what plows used to look like before tractors. Right, just a big kind of wedge thing with two handles that would be strapped to a beast of burden in the ancient world, usually an ox. Um, that then the ox would provide the force for the pull, and then the, the worker, the laborer, would provide the direction with the two handles to keep that plow going straight down the field. I myself have never seen this in the person, but that grade school textbook helped quite a lot. Um, so that's the picture, and so you put your hands to the plow, and Jesus says no one looks, puts his hand to the plow and looks back I mean, imagine trying to plow a straight line if you're looking back, right? It's fit for the kingdom of God. The farming is not going to go well if you're not looking straight ahead. I imagine it was sort of the first century equivalent of uh, looking far ahead as you're driving. A lesson that Luke is learning well these days, hopefully. Um, So no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What is Jesus, um, what is the fullness of his teaching in this picture? One resonance I think we should pick up on is that throughout the Gospels, the image of a field, which is, of course, what is plowed, is um, very often used as an image for the human heart. And so I think we should catch a resonance of that even in this teaching of Jesus, that you know, the, um, the prophets are given the word to break up the hard ground of the heart, one's own heart, and the hearts of others, that the Gospel is always for you and for those around you, and that the break, the sort of plowing of a field, I think, maps onto, you know, breaking up the hard ground of the heart to receive the gospel and the life of God. And then also in your own speech about God, to break up the hearts of others to receive the word. So that is work, the breaking up of the hardness of the heart, your own and others. That's work that can't be done capably, not fit for the kingdom of God, if you're looking back. So that's the warning I want to zoom in on. What is looking back that the Lord is warning us from doing if we would live in his kingdom, work in his kingdom, and enjoy the fruits of his kingdom, right? The fruit of plowing ultimately is harvest. Well, we see from the real life encounter into which Jesus spoke this setting um, very concretely that, you know, these specific things that these folks were drawn to look back on. And I think Jesus is actually summarizing all three encounters that he just had with the man who he says, um, who comes and says, I will follow you. And he says, it's going to mean like possibly material poverty. I've got nowhere to rest, especially that night. We just saw, you know, that the Samaritans in that beginning of the passage, the Samaritans wouldn't host him. So he's like, literally, I've got nowhere to stay tonight. Are you still up for following me? And then Jesus calls the other, follow me. He says, oh, I've got to go bury my father. And Jesus, and Jesus, to paraphrase, says, this is more important than, even than that. And it's interesting to me, I sort of only realized in looking at it this, for this Sunday, the gospel actually doesn't narrate whether or not these would-be disciples received the rebuke and followed or didn't. It doesn't, we don't know. It doesn't say, I think, I think maybe I've always read it like they, 
well, like the rich young ruler sort of heard the higher calling and kind of then demurred, didn't follow. But the passage doesn't say that. I think it's sort of left intentionally ambiguous so that we'd map our own lives onto it. What's it going to be? Will you receive this calling and follow or not? And the third man who um, says he'll follow, but first, you know, let me go um, say farewell. So look, no one who looks, puts his hand at the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I think there's at least three categories of things that we can be tempted to look back on that the Lord would warn us against this morning. So the first um, are things that we once had but never should have in the first place. And this is the category of sin. Like that long list we just heard in Galatians, sexual immorality, wrath, drunkenness, works of the flesh, things that Christ himself died to atone the guilt for. I think there's a temptation, especially as we kind of continue in this Christian life, sometimes there can be a, sin, a, a memory, a sin done in the past, that memory can kind of like to return to. Ah, that thing happened with, with, with pleasure rather than guilt, and rather than, not guilt, rather than remorse and repentance. And so I think one of the things we should not look back on is if there's any sin in the past that sometimes in strange moments your mind kind of goes back to and is like, that thing there's a twofold repentance needed when this has happened in my life I realize it's because I've never really repented of that sin in the first place I sort of hoped it would just kind of sweep under the rug of my heart and it doesn't work it'll keep coming until you say Lord for that thing even if it was 20 or 30 years ago you can still have the opportunity today to say Lord I've never said sorry to you for that thing 30 years ago I am sorry I wish I had never sinned against you and then, the, of course, also to repent of all those times where the will, through memory, returned to the sin and delighted in what was evil. So we should never look back on things that we never should have had in the first place, unequivocally. A second category of things that I experienced, you know, to be tempted to look back on that the Lord would say, don't look back, keep your hand at the plow, are things that you once had, but that back when you gave up for Christ's sake. That in some moment of discipleship, you were praying about it, you made a decision, and you made a sacrifice. You said no to something that was good. And I'm not talking about a sin. I mean something that like you could have had, and you said no. For the Lord's sake, I'm not going to do that thing. I'm not going to receive that thing. Might have been a past relationship or some way of acquiring money. Who knows what? And the temptation in hardship will sometimes be to look back and be like, oh, why, why did I give that up back then? And the Lord's saying no. You know, it's a cheesy phrase in the, in the secular world, but for the, when it was done for Christ's sake, there should be no regrets. See, I was, I was praying at the time. I was trying to obey the Lord. I'm not going to look back at that thing I could have had if I had have done differently in my discipleship. So do not look back at things we once had but have given up. The third category is more in the present than the past. I think in each of our lives, there's an area usually in the present, that the Lord is presently calling us to let go of a grip on, to follow him closely. And because we're such material creatures, each of our hearts has 50 attachments to something in this perishable life, and that one by one the Lord is inviting us through the course of our lifelong Christian discipleship, you can let go of that. In fact, I'm asking you to let go of that so that your hand is more free to receive his divine life and participation in the kingdom of God. So there may be something that he's calling you to, to re- let go of in the present. 
And Jesus is saying, don't look back in the face of that calling. The image that comes to mind is Frodo makes it all the way to Mount Doom. And he, let me just have one last look at the ring, right? That's sort of that looking back. It's like, no, you were called to destroy this thing. And you, just, just do it. Just obey. Like the man who, let me just say farewell to my parents, which is such an interesting parallel to the lesson in First Kings. Did you catch the parallel? That in Kings, Elijah calls Elisha. And Elijah says, let me just go say farewell. Let me take care of this. And Elisha says, Elijah says, no problem. Jesus says, no, no, this is more urgent than the prophetic mission of Elijah and Elisha. Don't even take time to say farewell. So I think sometimes, I think maybe it's, it's maybe rarer than it was in Jesus' day, but it still may happen in our day that the thing we are called to let go of in favor of immediately following Christ is a family tie. When it comes in clash with our calling to be a Christian, whether to, it's to a felt obligation to a parent or a sibling or a child, say, Lord, I'll follow you, but my loyalty to you supersedes even my loyalty to my blood family. But I think, you know, the culture has changed so much since the first century that um, sort of over-loyalty to one's family is not like the besetting problem today, perhaps as it was in the first century. If anything, we have the opposite, under-loyalty to one's family, which we should live into for Christ's sake, loyalty for Christ's sake. So, but when you think about what, is the, what role did a family tie have in Jesus' day, how might this category be bigger than just sort of a family clash of what Christ is calling us to. And you think, you know, family in the first century provided identity and meaning. That was like your chief marker. What you did was of less consequence. I think the thing that's really fit that mold, that what fits that description today, more often for many, is work. Work provides meaning and identity, and I think would be a more frequent, um, has more chance of really coming into contest with our loyalty to Christ, where Christ would say, Will you have that thing at work or me? And you've got to pick. And our loyalty to Christ should supersede our loyalty to any uh, tie to our, our career, our external work. And it's not because Jesus is just um, wanting to sort of, and this is not what it is, but you know, I think we wrongly hear it as if it's just him being bossy or sort of overly demanding. We forget that his heart towards us is always for our well-being, for our true and profound flourishing in him, that to let go of whatever he's calling us to let go of in the case of the men who encountered him, these sort of familial obligations or whatever it may be, to let go of it is so that we can actually enjoy spiritual life more profoundly, to actually encounter and know him more really than we did before, and to enjoy the knowledge of God in a more first-hand way, leading up to eternal knowledge of him, which is heaven. Amen.